All right. How you guys doing tonight? You guys doing okay? You look better than you sound. Are you guys doing okay? All right. Uh, welcome back to the well. Uh, I want you to, I'm going to start by doing something a little bit strange. I want you to think about something you're just not very good at. Okay? Can you, can you name something that you're just not very good at? Think of at least, can you, can, try to come up with at least one thing that you're not very good at. Okay? And then, after you've taken some time to think of that one thing, what are, what are three things that you feel like you're, you're pretty good at? And it's okay. You don't have to try to play the humble card here. Something you're excited about, something you're passionate about, something you're naturally gifted in, something you love to do. Name, name three things that you're good at and one thing that you're like, eh, not my area of expertise. And then share those things with like at least three people around you. Okay? Okay, come on back. Come on back. Um, I don't know about you, but I have, I have a, at least a long list of things that I'm not very good at. Uh, number one, I am not very good at art. Uh, and so we have some amazing artists in the room, okay? They have created some amazing masterpieces. Uh, a few weeks ago, some of you saw my attempt at art up here on a stage, and that was evident that I'm not very good at that. Uh, I was also, tonight, I was standing in the back, and I was watching the musicians up here, and I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's not me. Adam McCarroll doing that thing back there, that's, that, that's not my area of expertise, okay? But there are other things that God has given us the ability to do some things, right? So you've named some of those things. Think about those things. Hold on to those things, and that will make sense hopefully later. So uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you do not have one, you can do one of these and raise your hands. And look at all these, look at all these people that are like excited to bring you a Bible right now. That's pretty awesome. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We would be glad to deliver one to you. 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you have some sort of electronic device that you would like to use, that is a-okay with us. Okay, so tonight 
We are going to talk about the story, the well-known story of David and Goliath, right? Which, which seems fitting for the season of March Madness, I think, maybe. Um, but before we dive into the story in 1 Samuel 17, I want to say a couple things about just overall big picture context before we dive into the story that I think will be helpful. Um, historically, the big, the big empires kind of surrounding the land of Israel, like Egypt and Mesopotamia, at this time of this battle, they were occupied with other big empires. Okay, so the big empires like Egypt and Mesopotamia, they're preoccupied with other things, and there's not a whole lot of stuff going on with the land of Israel, if you will. So, as the saying goes, while the cats are away, the mice will play, okay? So, uh, the, the people of Israel and the Philistines are actually smaller empires. They would be considered the mice in this analogy. So, while the cats are away, the mice will play, and so there's these smaller battles that are going on between Israel and uh, the Israelites and the Philistines. Um, the Philistines were a pagan group of people living in the land of Canaan. They worshiped the god of Dagon, and they controlled the coastal plain. Okay, so I'm going to show you guys some maps here tonight. Uh, the, the Philistines lived in the coastal plain, and they had five major cities over here, Ekron, Gath, Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Gaza. So the Philistines are camping out over here. Meanwhile, the Israelites are primarily camping out in what we call the, the Judah Mountains over here. Can you say Judah Mountains? And over here is the coastal plain. Say coastal plain. Okay, and right here is what we call the Shephelah. Say Shephelah. Shephelah. One more time. Shephelah. All right, well done. Okay, so Shephelah is actually a Hebrew word that literally means low. Okay, and it, it's often translated as like the low rolling hills uh, to the west. And so it would be to the west of the mountains. Um, so let's just go to the next picture here. So this is a picture of the Shephelah, kind of green at this time, low rolling hills. This will make a difference in a minute, okay? So it's about 12 to 15 miles uh, of the Shephelah. And then, as you can see here, on the coastal plain, and then eventually it gets a little bit rolling hills before you get up to the Judah Mountains there. Um, there's three factors. Uh, let's see here. Basically, the contact between these two people groups then always took place in this region here. So the Philistines are hanging out over here. The Israelites are hanging out over here. And whenever there is conflict between the two, almost always it was fighting over the area called the Shephelah. Why is the Shephelah significant? I'm going to name three reasons why the Shephelah was significant. Um, okay, right here is what we call the International Coastal Highway. So this, this major highway went from Egypt all the way up to Mesopotamia, and it was the main artery that kind of went through the land. If you are in the Shephelah and you want access to those routes, then you would have to go, or if you're over here in the hill country, you want to go to the, to the coastal uh, highway. You would have to go through the Shephelah. And there are six valleys that kind of make up the Shephelah. 
You can see those are mentioned in there, the Ilan, the Sorak, the Ela. And those, those six valleys kind of functioned as swinging doorways east and west. Okay, so if you are on the mountains and you want to get to the coast, you have to go through the Shephelah, namely through one of those six valleys. So the Shephelah is significant because of its proximity to this route and because they were kind of east-west routes from one location to the other. And they're also significant because these valleys also produced good crops. That's my wife, Stacy, hanging out in the Ayla Valley with all the wheat right there, in case you were wondering, okay? So, um, because of these things, it was in the Shephelah that these battles took place, that this conflict took place between God's people who were hanging out in the mountains and the, the pagan people of the Philistines. And their ideologies would clash in the Shephelah. And so whenever there was a battle that took place in the Shephelah, whoever would win that battle, basically their culture or their ideology would, would trump throughout the region. Okay? So the Philistines are winning a battle, then their, their culture, their practices, their gods, they're going to become known in the land. If the Israelites are winning the battles in the Shephelah region, then their values, their culture, their worship practices are going to be what rules in the land. Make sense? Kind of, kind of a big deal. Maybe that's kind of helpful. And this, my friends, sets the stage for the epic battle of David and Goliath. So, turn to me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll read the first few verses. We're just going to kind of read this a little bit at a time. Starting at verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes-Demim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites occupied another with the valley between them. Okay, so let's look at a map again. We have, uh, this is Azekah, which was mentioned in the text here. And this is maybe an aerial, a pretty cool aerial shot, I think. So Azekah is hanging out over here, and Soko is here. And the text says that the Philistines were camped on Soko and Azekah. This here is the Ela Valley, heading east towards the Judean hills. And the scriptures say that the Israelites were hanging out in the Ela Valley while the Philistines are at Soko and Azekah. So this is the area where this battle took place. Let's keep reading our story. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. 
If he is able to fight and kill me, we will be your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will be our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and were terrified. So Goliath, verse, verse 10 says, this Philistine says, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. I defy you. I defy your God. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment. And it says, Saul and the people were very afraid. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we learn that there are two Israelite soldiers, Saul and Jonathan, who possess a sword. That was it. Nobody else in the army had a sword. Saul and Jonathan were the only ones who were equipped with a sword. And as we read this description of who Goliath is and how he is equipped for battle, is it no wonder that they were a little bit terrified of this guy who was nine feet tall and had all this armor and this huge sword and a huge javelin? It kind of makes sense, right? Let's keep reading our story. Now David was a son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. Okay, so Ephrathah was an ancient name for Bethlehem. So Jesse is from Bethlehem. David is from Bethlehem. It's kind of a well-known fact for the most part. Why does, why does Jesse send his three oldest sons off to war? Any guesses? Any guesses? Here's Azekah, here's Soko, and as you keep going east, this distance between Azekah and Bethlehem is only 12 miles. So the Philistines, this is one of their main capitals, if you will, and they just keep pushing east and keep pushing east and keep pushing east. Jesse hears about this war that is going on, and he knows that if the Philistines keep pushing east, where are they heading next? Bethlehem. So he sends his three oldest sons off to the war and say, hey, you got to defend, you got to defend us, you got to defend our land. Verse 14, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So David is a shepherd. This is his life. Tending the sheep. Shepherds were typically the youngest in the family. So this was Eliab's job at one point, but he eventually gets passed on and passed on and passed on. Now David is the youngest, and he is the shepherd boy. Tending the sheep. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. 
For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Morning and evening. In Exodus, we learn that the time for the Israelites to sacrifice, the time of worship, was morning and evening. Also, we know culturally that the people of Israel, they would be reciting the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. They are reciting these things in the morning and in the evening as a way to remind themselves to declare, recommit their lives to God. This is who we are. This is who we want to be. And they are doing these things in the morning and in the evening. And Goliath comes out in the morning and in the evening during their time of worship to taunt them. And he does this for 40 days and 40 nights. Then David was sent by his father to go check out on his brothers in the Ela Valley. And now let's jump to verse 22. David left his things... David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. So David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should, that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David is like, Wait, who's that guy? Who's this dude that's like shouting these things, taunting us and our God? Who is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Really? You guys are just going to sit here and take this? He's coming out day after day after day. This is the story that's been happening. Morning and evening, he's coming out and he's, he's threatening us and he's, and he's taunting our God. Who is this guy? Let's pick up the story in verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, your servant. will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been, fighting, he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine." Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. 
I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. This is the word of the Lord. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Almost every Bible movie I've ever seen gets this detail wrong. You would think after getting hit in the forehead with a stone that you would fall backwards from the force. But the text says explicitly here that Goliath fell face down on the ground. Falling face down on the ground, a position of worship. I think that's an important detail that a lot of movies miss out on. I think the most important question we can ask while reading the Bible is, is not what does this mean, although that is a good question to be asking and I think we can glean a lot from that, obviously, I think that. I think the most important question we can be asking as we study this book is the question, how then shall we live? If this is true, if this story is true, how then shall we live? And to help us answer that question, I want to kind of focus on three other questions to ask us tonight. Can we do that? First question I want to ask is where? Where? The Shephela was a place where God's people and God's values clashed with the, the pagans, the Philistines, and the values of, of the world. 
So the Israelites are hanging out in the mountains, and the Philistines are hanging out on the coast, and these, these battles of culture and religion are taking place in this thing called the Shephelah. It's this major crossroads. What is or what might be a Shephelah in our world today? Where, where might be a Shephelah for you to encounter, to engage? I think it's so easy for us to, to be people like the Israelites to just hang out in the mountains. And we can do our Christian bubble thing and we can hang out up here and just hope that everything's okay and pray to God that they don't come attack us up there in the mountains. Or we can be people that say, you know what? We think our God is bigger than that and I don't think we have anything to be afraid of. So let's go down the mountain and let's go into these valleys and let's go into this region of the Shephelah and figure out how, how our God and the things that we believe intersect with and engage with the world and the people around us. Our friend, Chris Peters, first heard of this idea of the Shephelah 19 years ago. And afterwards, he was thinking about it, praying about it, and he said, you know what? The Shephelah is a college campus. And I want to go do ministry on a college campus. And he has been leading the charge here at Grand Valley for 18 years. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah! Yeah! That's also a reason why Stacy and I love being here too. Because we think that there is something significant about God and his people and, and our values and God's values and, and the ways that they clash here on a state university. I think a state university is a Shafela type place. It's also why I love Young Life. Okay, if you're a Young Life leader, you gotta, you gotta get out of the mountains and you gotta go down the hill and you gotta go into a local high school or a local middle school and you gotta engage the, the Shafela there. I think these things are important. So we ask the question, where? Where will your story take place? Where is your Shephelah and where will your story take place? Second question we want to ask is why? Why? Why did David go what was his motive? When we were, when we were studying this uh, text together as the Well Program team, there was somebody in there who says this, David does what most of us only dream of doing. I thought that was a great line. David does what most of us dream of doing. So why did he go? What was it about David that set him apart from the other Israelites? I want to read a few verses uh, with you. So follow along with me. 1 Samuel 17, verse 10. And I want you to pick up the theme from these verses, okay? Verse 10. 
Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Okay, now let's go to verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Tell me what is the theme? What, what, word, what word is being repeated again and again and again? Defy or defied. The Hebrew word is haraf. Say haraf. Haraf means to blaspheme or defy or taunt or say sharp things against, despise or scorn. And it's used five times in this story. Which to me tells me that the, the author is saying, hey, this this is kind of a big deal. This is kind of an important thing. I'm, I'm going to say it again and again and again so that you pick up on the importance of this. And so Goliath is going out and he's taunting the God, the king of the universe. And David says, what? Who is this dude that is taunting our God? I think that is a key thing. I think that's a big deal for, for David's motive. David wasn't going out there because he wanted to be the superhero. I mean, we, David does something we all dream of doing in part because we like the spotlight and because we want to be the hero. We want to hit the game-winning shot at the buzzer. We want, we want that kind of thing. That was not David's motive. David's motive was like, this guy's saying things about my God, and I'm going to go do something about that. I think, there's a, I think there's a difference in that. So we ask the question, why? Why did David go? Why will you go? What will be your motive in going? David says this in verse 46, that he's doing this so that all the earth, all the people of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That the whole world may know. This is why I'm doing this. I'm going to strike you down so that the whole world can know that there's a, a God. Third question we're going to ask is how? Look at verse 38 with me. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So we asked the question, how? Saul's armor is put on David. It didn't really work out for him. Why? He wasn't used to them. It's too heavy for him, too big for him, didn't fit right. 
He puts on Saul's armor, and he's like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't go in these. And I wonder if he felt pressure to actually figure that out. This is what I'm supposed to do, right? I'm going to go into this battle. I'm going to fight this guy over here that's got all this armor on, and he's nine feet tall, and I'm a teenage boy, and I, I should be able to figure this thing out, right? Here we go. He's like, no, I can't do this. I'm not used to this. This is not, this is not who I am. The armor, the swords, not David's area of expertise. David was a teenage boy tending his sheep. What do you think a teenage boy hanging out in the desert with a bunch of sheep might be doing day in and day out? Throwing some stones, maybe? Okay, I'm going to tell you guys a story. A few years ago, uh, my brother was about to move to Florida, okay? So he got a job at a church down in Florida, and he was about to move down there. It was his birthday, December 31st, and so he was going to move in like two weeks. They just had a baby. They just sold their house. They're trying to figure out where they're going to live in Florida, and I was like, we need to hang out. So for his birthday, uh, I took him to none other than Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, This is his 31st birthday. And we had a good time, okay? And we were hanging out with Chucky, and we were playing the video games. We love the sports games, like the basketball game and skee-ball and football. And so we were, like, breaking every record on all these basketball games and football games. We were just like, let's just destroy all the records. So uh, there's his record of 218 points here and 204 points here and we had a good time hanging out at Chuck E. Cheese for the day and then afterwards we went outside and we played a round of frisbee golf yep it was winter and we didn't care and so we go do this game around do a round of frisbee golf and we're you know a little bit competitive halfway through the round of frisbee golf we're throwing snowballs and it's the it's the game of guys will understand this i know this Okay, it's the game of, do you think you can hit that? (laughs) Right? So you get a snowball, and you pack it up, and you got to hit that tree truck or that tree uh, branch or that fence post or whatever. And we just stopped our game for like 20 minutes of Frisbee golf in order to play this other game of throwing snowballs at some stupid target. What do you think a teenage boy might be doing day in and day out, hanging out with a bunch of sheep in the desert by himself. (laughs) Of course he's going to find some sort of game with these rocks to like throw rocks at a target and try to, that's just what boys do. Sorry, ladies, I don't know how to explain it. It's just what we do. It's who we are. Don't get mad at us for it. So maybe David, maybe David was bored It's kind of what we do sometimes. We make up games when we're bored. And he starts throwing rocks all day, every day as a teenage boy. And maybe it's in these moments where he's frustrated that he got the the short straw of being the youngest. All the other brothers got the big boy jobs fighting a war. They've graduated already and I still got to hang out down here. Just throwing rocks at nothing hanging out in the sheep by myself, bored out of my mind. Meanwhile, 
God had a different plan. And while David is maybe seemingly bored hanging out in the desert throwing rocks, God was saying, no, I'm, I'm using this time and this season to prepare and equip you for one of the greatest events in the history of the world. Isn't that kind of cool? God used the very thing that David was good at. After years of slinging stones, he got pretty good at it. And God decided to use the thing that he was good at to bring glory to his name. David simply shows up and he throws his stone. So, be you. Be you. Let's not try to be people that are trying to be something else. Let's not try to be a drummer if we're not a drummer. Let's not try to be walking around with Saul's armor saying like, I wish I could. I couldn't draw a stick figure to save my life. And that's okay. It's okay that you don't have certain gifts because there's other people around you that have those gifts. So be you. What are the things that you are good at? What are the things you are passionate about? What are the things that you, you love doing? What are your hobbies? How, how is it possible that, that God could use those things so that the world may know that there is a God in Israel? Maybe you are thinking about or maybe you should be thinking about potential campus ministry leadership position for next year. There's a lot of opportunities for you to use gifts that God has given you in a variety of different ways. Or maybe you don't feel like you're ready for a leadership position yet, and that's okay. But maybe, maybe as you thought about the things you're good at, maybe you're, maybe you're good at running, or maybe you're really good at listening, or maybe you're a really good encourager, or maybe you're really good at artwork, or maybe you are a really good musician, or maybe you are whatever the things that you are good at, the things that you named at the beginning of the service, How could God use that to bring glory to his name? I want to read a few verses from Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, you can turn there if you'd like, but you don't have to. You can just listen as well. Starting at verse 3. Four, I'll give you a second. Romans 12 verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This is why we do life in community. 
Because we need to use our gifts and the people around us need to use our gifts and we are grateful for the other people around us that are also using their gifts. So maybe this week, if you're in a life group, maybe you could take a few minutes this week and just go around the circle and just affirm each other and tell people, hey, this is what I see in you. I think you're really good at this. Or maybe if you're not in a life group, just maybe take some time with some friends this week and just say, hey, you know, I think, I think you're really good at this and I really appreciate that. And I want to encourage you to keep, keep doing that. Keep developing that gift that God has given you because that really encourages me when you do that. Simply throwing a stone was the gift that God had given David. What is your stone? What are the gifts that God has given you? And will you throw it? Will you throw your stone? God wants to use your gifts and your abilities and your passions so that all the earth may know that there is a God on this campus in the Shephelah, and in the world. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks for the gift of your word and for the faithfulness of your servant, David. We are grateful for the ways that he went, that he trusted, he had faith, God, there's many of us that hear this story again tonight and we, and we think, man, that would be awesome if we could be somebody like David. So thank you for his faithfulness and, and for those of us here tonight, God, I just pray that you will increase our faith, increase our confidence, increase our passion. Give us eyes to see the gifts you have given us. For some of us, it's the gifts that we already have, and for, for others, maybe you want to make us a hard right turn, and, and you want to develop brand new gifts in us because you want us to go a different direction with our lives. So God, I pray that you will, you will help us be open to those things, and that you will give us opportunities to use the gifts you have given us, and that we can do them in such a way where we're not getting the glory for ourselves, but we just want you to be known in this world. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.